This is Benny Chapman, the creature from the Black Lagoon. Without your head. Vietnam, was living in New York, and uh, got involved with some people who were doing fundraising for various uh, businesses, and I was a young man, and uh, someone said, you know, you have a gift of gab, and uh, you like people, so you may as well, you know, start having some fun with this. I was introduced to someone who knew Sam and uh, Al, the uh, co-partners, and uh, we began having a conversation. They were looking to raise money to improve their distribution of their films, and I knew some people, and that's how it began. So, if if you uh, yeah, you saw how I looked in that movie. I kind of look that way now. I have long curly hair and uh, goatee, and. Um, they had John Carradine. They'd done movies with him before, but he wasn't available or whatever their story was. And they decided they were looking for something fresh, and it was the 60s. And so um, they took a look at me and said, you kind of fit in. Hair is popular, and you know these other things are popular. You know, You would probably make a good Dracula. What do you think? And my response was, I hate horror films. <laughs> <laughs> so that got us off to a good start. <laughs> and they said, they kind of, you know, we just had developed a good relationship. And uh, they kind of enticed me. And, you know, I, I'm a curious guy. So I decided, well, this could be an adventure. Why not push through uh, my resistance to something and see what's there? So I said yes, and we made the arrangements. And Gina, uh, Al's wife, who starred in all his movies, picks me up at the airport and said, we're going right to the costume place. We've got to get you a cape. And I don't know if when we got there, Gina said it or the guy said it. He said, you should be very pleased. This is the cape that Bela Lugosi wore in the movie. Oh, wow. What is it? Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein. Mm-hmm. So I said, just what you did. Oh, wow. You know, Bella Lugosi. Well, I've got to get some of that energy to get in character or whatever. And off we went. So that was the beginning. And they were really good people. It was uh, screwy on the set. There were all kinds of changes. The, uh, they were great to work with. Um, 
Alan and Sam would add these little, mostly Sam would bring stuff out. You know, let's put this light under you so it make you look even more ominous. So they, so action, we do this, the one scene, they say cut. And I said, whoa, whoa, did you all see me blink? And they said, oh, yeah, 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 we'll cut it out. Well, like everything else, they didn't cut it out. And so <laughs> it made for the movie that we all watched, and people went, what is this? This is, you know. And, of course, the most telling thing was the end, uh, when they had to reshoot the ending. They, I was living in New York still, and they called me, I don't know how long, months, many months after. They said, are you available to reshoot the ending? It won't take long. Uh, we had a problem with the editor and the editing, so we need to redo the ending. I said, sure, sure. You know anybody who can play the monster? You know, we need some. You won't have any lines because it's just the, you know, it's just, it'll be a voiceover. And of course, Gina. So I got a friend of mine who loved horror and he was delighted. And off we went. And of course, the makeup I had in Hollywood with, you know, real press on fangs was a little different you may remember in the ending that we shot uh, up in New York where I had uh, Halloween plastic teeth and they said uh, go help uh, Drac and they handed this person some clown white and they made my face all white they didn't do my hands and off we went so when we see the movie at the end it's like wait a minute you know Here's this guy in the lab looking like a Dracula character, and here's the guy at the end of the movie looking like a clown. Wait a minute, you know. And I think, you know, hearing responses from folks over the years and most recently in Hollywood, uh, this is what made this a standout movie because it was so different and had all these disparate elements kind of woven together and it was one of those what am i watching this is crazy i love it you know so those are the kinds of things i heard i didn't love it so much because that wasn't my focus you know i did it and i did another one for them and i went on with my life and i actually got into working in uh, improv story theater had my own company in Asheville, north carolina i put out a, a magazine with someone else about people's personal stories because I'm really interested in people and I'm interested in stories. And I pretty much forgot about it till I started getting emails and phone calls from fans. And this was many years later. And uh, I called Sam and uh, he had actually, let me back up, he had called me t- to inform me at some point that Al had been murdered. Do you know all of that? Yeah, yeah, that's real. And they just had the documentary about him last year. Right, exactly. <laughs> and so I said, whoa, okay. So that kind of was, a, you know, I had something and I sent it to Sam and he, I guess, did it at the funeral. But when I started getting these calls and I called Sam, I said, what's going on? I'm getting all these phone calls. Please don't give out my phone number. He said, I just (laughs) gave it out to this one guy because he really, you know, wants to interview you and you should know what's going on. You know, you've got a big following online and people are buying stuff on eBay that, you know, that are memorabilia. I said, I have no idea. He said, well, you ought to look and, and see it. And so I did. And I was seeing all these crazy chat room things, you know, the worst Dracula ever. You know, who is this Frank Zapula? (laughs) And so I was going, what is going on here? So Sam said, no, no, these are fans. They just, you know, they're doctors, they're lawyers. They don't want to let people know they're into this. You know, the book that was made about Al Adamson years ago was called Schlockerama. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he was the Ed Wood of the 70s or something. Mm-hmm. So I wove this all together and I said, thank you very much. And, I, you know, I, I really don't do interviews and I, I'm doing something else and, you know, so on and so forth. So this is how it was going until about four years ago when David Gregory, who made the documentary, found me through the, the theater company I had in Nashville. And he was quite a gentleman. 
and and, and uh, Neil, I'm going on, so stop me at any time. Well, it's want, interesting. Huh? No, it's. Okay. I mean, uh, there's no reason to ask. We're, we're hearing the story. Okay. Here. Well, in any event, uh, David and I went from emails to phone chats, and uh, he was such a gentleman, and he was telling me kind of what he had in mind. He wanted to come and interview me because he was doing this film was mostly about interviews for people who worked with Al, and then the end would be about what happened. I said, all right, so he had a cameraman, and we had a really good interview, and it ended really well, and he said, uh, I'll be in touch. And he was about four years later, and I get an email saying, okay, Roth, I hope you're uh, doing well. We finished the film. It's opened in London and Canada and in Paris to really good reviews, and we're going to premiere it in Hollywood. Be our guest. He said, really? And he said, why don't you send me a copy so I see what it looks like? He said, we don't have any copies because they're being made. But, yeah, we'll fly you out there, and we want you to be there because we're going to show the documentary, and then we're going to – it's going to be a double feature. We're going to show the Dracula movie, and it would be great if you're there. There would be a lot of people who would be delighted to see you. Mm -hmm. So I talked to my wife, and I said, all right, let's do this. Is, you know, I, I can't keep saying no. I mean, they, I want to see the movie and see what they did. Yeah. So off we go, and it was at the – Groman's Egyptian Theater, mm -hmm. and uh, we were walking in the the day it was like pre evening uh, of the uh, the premiere, and there's a long line, and I'm walking. I'm just wearing clothes. I'm wearing black clothes because I know I'm going to talk to people, and my wife's wearing a black dress, and David's with us, and people are going, "Oh, there he is! There he is!" And I'm you know I'm looking around, and I realize it's me. And so we go into the smaller theater that David had rented. It's the Steven Spielberg Theater. And um, we watched this uh, really well-done documentary about Al. And uh, it was a great tutorial for people who think they want to make movies, what he went through to put these things together. Mm -hmm. Did you get a chance to see it? I think it's all over. It's online. Oh yeah, yeah. You can get it on, uh, you know, um, Amazon and you know yeah. all kinds of video demand and yeah. It's yeah, it's a, so it's a great that. documentary, mm -hmm. right? And uh, you know he had everybody in there and all this wildness. So the the, the film is over and uh, I'm a veteran who had a little minor casualty while there, which is called a hanging kidney. So I'm in the bathroom a lot and I, you know, I've been sitting through this movie and I haven't been for a while. So I tell my wife, geez, I have to go up there now. I, I can't leave. So they call me up there and do questions and answers for about 20 minutes. And I get a lot of questions and a lot of ooh and ah. And then David thanks everybody. We're going to go out to dinner while they watch the Dracula movie. And people get up and swamp me. Like this whole long line of people with posters and photographs. And, you know, please, Mr. Uh, what did they call me? Please, sir. Uh, <laughs> would you please sign this and sign this and that? So where do you get these pictures? Oh, we got these from Flory Ackerman. Oh, we've been saving these for 50 years. One guy said, I, didn't, I, I don't believe I'm in the same room with you. And I said, really? I said, I'm just a person, an actor. No, you are, you know, Dracula. I said, okay. And <laughs> I was just amazed at all this uh, energy and people, how much this means to people. And it mm -hmm. really changed my whole attitude, Neil. It didn't change the fact that I had a P, and so I said, okay, listen, <laughs> you know, I, I've got a P, and a voice says, seriously, Dracula doesn't pee. <laughs> so some big guy steps forward, who I found out later, who was an actor and a friend of David, and he, and he said, this Dracula does, so he's been very kind, and he escorted me up to the bathroom, and... Uh, I did my business and I came out and there's a whole long line. Will you take a picture with me? Will you take, me? and I'm going, okay. <laughs> you know, I'm, like, I'm flabbergasted by all these folks that this film had so much meaning for. 
And it really touched me big time. I went, wow, this is amazing. In a time of so much unrest on this planet and so Mm -hmm. much violence, this movie, which was, you know, it had its share of weirdness with the mad doctor and, and Lon Chaney's role in what he was doing, but it also had a great deal of comedy and weirdness and fun. And, um, I began to realize that this has touched a lot of people, so change your attitude, guy. And so I did, and it's been a great unfolding since that. So I'll let you talk, and I can tell you more stories. Yeah, so so I, I, up to that point, then, you didn't know that the that Dracula's Frankenstein had that following, was like a, considered a cult classic. Well, Sam, when I, you know, when I got the, started getting calls, I mean, mostly emails, I only got one or two calls because I said, I don't want my life turned upside down with this stuff. He said, you mm-hmm. really need to know, you've got a huge following that, you know, we sold the television rights to MGM and they've shown this movie on television all over the world. And, you know, got to understand there's something there people want to see you and they talked about these uh, horror conventions like you know and, and comic con you know and stuff mm-hmm. like that and you know the opportunity is there for you to come out if you're willing and i said you know i have a different life i work with kids i work with people with you know special needs i have a theater company where we honor people's stories you know we go in prisons with this kind of stuff it's you know I wasn't into this and I'm happy uh, to to meet people under very specific you know occasions but you know I, I, I don't know Sam so he kind of let it go and until this Hollywood thing happened because uh, David Gregory who did the documentary uh, has redone all of. Uh, Sam's movies. I guess that's what you're aware of, the road show and everything. Yeah. Yeah. And so, and the documentary, and he's featuring the Dracula movie separate from it and in it also. He put together this big uh, box set, which we're all waiting to see. And then that was step one until the pandemic thing came up. Mm-hmm. And because of that, the man who made the arrangements with David Gregory and Sam to do this library and get Sam's work out and everything uh, has been in the movie business a long time, knows Sam a long time, and I guess, and he had seen the Dracula movie, and they uh, were talking about, you know, Raphael is seems to have softened and you know he's at an age and a temperament that you know maybe he'd be up for doing something let's talk so david this david who's different than david gregory said yeah let me let me talk to him i've got some good ideas because uh, he handled the drive-in business for amc and he said since the you know, the boxes are closed, you know, the drive-ins are going to still open, and there's about 300 around the country. We would call him the, you know, the drive-in Dracula, because these are the kind of movies that people love to drive-ins. So Mm -hmm. we spoke, and he just said, are you willing? I have all kinds of ideas. You're a really marketable character that people want to see. Uh, there's all kinds of things we can do if you're willing. And I said, I'm willing as long as it doesn't get too weird and we can have some fun. And I'd like to meet and talk to people, find out what's going on in their lives and why this is so important. I'm a curious guy. I'm all into mm-hmm. stories. So we're off and running and we talked and the first thing was the blood drive. You know about that? Yeah, which is uh, personal to me because a few years ago I got really sick. I uh, I had to get um, I had emergency surgery to remove uh, 14 inches of my colon, uh, which led to it was uh, I had I wore a colostomy bag for a while. It was right when I turned 40, so it's too young to any any age is bad to have a colostomy bag. And then um, I had the reversal surgery where they reconnected me, and uh, from then I had um, what's called a wound vac. And it would like suck up all this stuff, but it was sucking out, uh, blood out of my arteries. So I started to bleed Whoa. out 
and oh it was uh, it was very it was really bad. I was rushed to the hospital, but a long it was a very long story. But long story short, was I uh, needed uh, blood transfusions uh, several times because this happened three times that I bled out. And my uh, gosh, if it wasn't for that, you know, I wouldn't be here uh, with with uh, without people, you know, donating blood. Which I don't think That's it's something amazing. that a lot of people think about, you know, because you never I, know uh, when you're going to need it. Wow, that's quite a story. Um, well, it's interesting because um, Sam and this man's name is David Sering, uh, who, who has become kind of like uh, my manager for getting these things done. And he's doing an amazing job, and he has a woman who does PR. I guess she's uh, Dina's the one who contacted you. Mm-hmm. And he sent me a clip that in a shot of Bella Lugosi saying, uh, maybe it was Sam who did it, you know, the blood is the life. And it really puts that into perspective. So they put together um, a, a little mini script for me to do a PSA about the drive-ins to be shown before the Dracula film. And it's, uh, so my stepdaughter had a camera and, I couldn't get any makeup. I they sent me a cape and fangs and stuff. So in one of the rooms in my house, a couple of weeks ago, we put together this um, oath of the vampire, and it's all about giving blood. And it was a thing that Sam had done years ago with one of his films, where he had, you know, the audience repeat after him, and they, you know, they did this whole thing, and they got little trinkets to remember that time, and it. You know, that kind of interaction is really nice. It, it makes one not just a, uh, someone viewing it and going home. They, they interact with what they're in, in, liking, hopefully. So they redid it for Donate Blood, and what an idea. Here is this, you know, uh, character who's such an icon in, you know, for you know, how many years, uh, suddenly saying donate blood you know and so we put it together and david did a track on it and music and so he's you know planning to show it before all at all the drive-ins and and stimulate people you know giving blood Mm -hmm. and uh, so i like that and uh it's gonna lead to other things and you know between you and me and maybe your listeners, um, the day will come when Dracula will lay on a gurney instead of a coffin and donate blood. We were oh, looking at excellent. That. Yeah, so that's going to happen down the road a piece. But the whole idea is to, you know, change the, the way things are viewed. We're living in very unknown, perilous times on one level. I mean, you make a mistake today in someone's life, and blood is so necessary. But you know what else, Neil? Connection and uh, kindness are also. And, you know, so here is a kind guy you're talking to. I work with people with special needs, and I mm-hmm. do playback theater, which playback plays back people's real life story and it becomes such a transformational tool but i'm cast as this <laughs> you know person who and i can play that role because it's acting and you know um because of the the nature of the way that sam and al did it you know it's it's strange acting except the ending where <laughs> I had a moment there with the monster and took him apart. <laughs> and so <laughs> uh-huh. my family and friends said, you did what? <laughs> I saw your movie. I can't believe that you did that. You know, you're, you're a potent human being, but you know, you're all about kindness and, you know, paying attention to, you know, we don't have to argue. We don't have to fight. We can work this out. You know, that kind of mo- 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 mentality. So I'm taking a look at all of this and saying, okay, there's got to be a reason that this is happening, and I'm going to explore this, and I think the fans have some answers, because what is it that keeps people so uh, attuned to this? You know, this is the guy, uh, the character who I've been told there are 
more people playing Dracula than any other character in any movie ever. Oh, wow. Yeah, I I went online a a month or so ago when I heard that, and there were 26 actors, including myself, who played uh, Dracula. I mentioned this to someone, and they said, well, pull it up. Show me what you're talking about. I pulled it up, and there were 85 but what they did, somebody redid it, and anybody who, you know, donned a costume for a Halloween party and put on some funky makeup and appeared anywhere was considered someone who played Dracula. But there were 26, you know, actors that you would probably recognize a number of the names who mm-hmm. did play Dracula. So, you know, this character is embedded in our culture, and I'm curious why. So I'm actually researching, and I'm putting together a multimedia performance piece that will be done on a stage with all kinds of backup. And uh, I've got people helping with this. And I actually have somewhere here in, uh, at the university a professor who's really in mind with this. So we're looking to the future to be able to stimulate a different kind of audience and see if we can cross-pollinate and um, find ways to uh, understand why there is so much violence and why a character like this continues to live on and what is this whole thing about blood. And more so, it's about, you know, longevity. I think they're all act, you know, the Dracula character, vampires, he's the king of the vampires, uh, live on forever, but... It's questionable if that's the life one would want. Right, right. Yeah. Uh, a lot of people send in questions when I uh, mentioned you're going to be on the show. And uh, Zeb Godan wants to know, um, were you influenced by any past versions of Dracula? You know, um, I've only seen two uh, films. One was the original Lugosi and one was Coppola or Coppola, however you say with uh, oh, Gary yeah. Oldham. And I found them both curious. Uh, The thing I found most curious, I was a young man when I saw the Lugosi one, and I was, you know, my mind was working. And and what I noticed was that here he is in foggy London, ready to have his, you know, needs met. And he looked like he was on edge. The character, I I haven't seen it so long, but I know it stuck with me. He looked edgy, like he was couldn't wait to do this. And then the young girl shows up, and he takes blood, and it's like his shoulders go down, and he's suddenly very high, as if he had just taken a drug, which, of course, is a life-giving med. And that juxtaposition is showing up today and you're looking at an opiate crisis where people have so much need because they hurt. They're not getting you know, their needs met in other ways or they're in pain that can't be addressed. I know people in my own family are going through this and I'm trying to put these two together. Like, you know, the idea is to feel good. And in some cases, to the extreme, people get high, and, and sometimes when people get high, they don't do you know good things. So that's the kind of thinking that I got from uh, that movie. The older movie was a well done movie, you know, because of Coppola is a good, really good movie maker, filmmaker. Mm-hmm. So that's my take. Yeah, since you since you weren't uh, since you didn't like horror. Um, when Lon Chaney was there on set with you, like, did you realize, you know, this is like a, you know, a legendary name in horror, Lon Chaney? Actually, uh, you know, uh, we, that was shot before they added the drag. They did this thing in three segments. They had, this was three mm-hmm. different movies edited together. So I Chaney see. was on, uh, before me, they added Duray, uh, J. Carol Nash and then they brought me in at the end uh, to kind of pull it all together. And Forey Ackerman, uh, the man who had famous monsters, yeah. he was a delight. He, he was fun. We did the car scene together. And 
So, um, but I knew who he was because of Mice and Men, because I have a background mm. in theater, and I appreciate that. And so, mm-hmm. I, I, I research things that I do. I take a look at uh, who they are. I went on your site and saw what you did. Very impressive. Oh, thank and, you. Uh, yeah, and so. Uh, since I didn't work with him, uh, I worked with Nash and I worked with Angelo the Dwarf, who worked with everybody, Lagosi and Karloff. And, you know, a lot of these guys were at the end, you know, Cheney and, and, and J. Carroll Nash's was their last mm-hmm. film. I don't know what I heard that Angelo passed on, too. So here, a lot of people passed and I'm still here. <laughs> <laughs> this is Dracula. He lives. He lives for uh, forever. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Just it the must of the be light, the blood. Right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's see. Uh, I also want to know uh, how many days did it take to shoot your scenes? Uh, in Hollywood, it was less than a week. Uh, I don't recall. We did some night shooting, and then it took a. Uh, uh, a day and a night at the end up in uh, New York, nor- a little north of New York City to do the final scene where the light comes, the sun comes up, and suddenly there or yeah, is the sun, and there's Dracula caught out there, and he disintegrates before your eyes. That was a trip. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, what was that like to film? Like, uh, I assume like they keep taking different, you know, uh, uh, different shots of you to, to slowly, you know, uh, do the, uh, the, the, the effect. You mean the end? Yeah. Okay. When you're disintegrating. Yeah, this, this will be fun. I've told this to a few people, but you okay. know, I don't know specifically who you're reaching, but it doesn't matter because it's a great story. It's one of my favorite parts of the movie. Mm-hmm. At the very end, uh, they I think they had the the cameraman who went from shooting our movie, he was working with Orson Welles on his movie. Oh, really? So was, oh. Yeah, so it was kind of fun. And so what Sam and Al did, they said, uh, Drac, lay on the, on the, what was it, the, I think it was a door or something, and just lay still. And whoever the cameraman was, they said, here's what we want you to do. We're going to do this really quickly. You don't have to stop the camera. Just put your hand, your hand totally in front of the lens when we say cut. And we want everybody who's not working on this to get down on the ground outside of the view of the lens. And when Al says cut, you take leaves and dirt and rub it on Drax's face. But don't overdo it. We're going to do this maybe three or four times, and then we're going to do it all, edit it all to something. So that's what they did. And <laughs> they're, they, it's all they could do from not laughing because they were having such a good time, you know, throwing leaves and dirt in my face, and I have all this makeup, and they're rubbing it around, cut, you know, and finally it's like, what was that all about? And I said, you have to see this, the film. And <laughs> you saw what happened. It uh-huh. was so, it was such a perfect ending for this clown white and uh, a, a different way to, uh, there's no steak in the heart, no garlic, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, so it, it was, it, I think it, it was, a, it was fun. It was different. And I think it was, People like difference after a long line of similar things. Or mm-hmm. I heard, I didn't see Langella, but I, I heard he did a movie that where his Dracula was kind of a Romeo sexy guy. Mm-hmm. And there've been all kinds of iterations, but you know, the, the bottom line, they take blood. And mm-hmm. my big question, and it's part of my performance piece that one day will happen is asking audience members how is it that you take blood Mm. good question Mm. because in some way or another if we're not kind let's say uh and we hurt someone it's like taking the life out of them you know taking Mm. their energy away what is a vampire Mm -hmm. right right yeah it's like a uh yeah it's a good question what what um how about yourself? How, how do you, how do you, uh, perceive that? 
How what? How, How do, do you I perceive take blood? It? Yeah. Um, I've had uh, a lot of learning, and I have been dedicated to addressing that question within myself. It's not something I asked till recently, mm-hmm. but I've been aware of how have I hurt people? How am I impatient or unkind? And I attempt to uh, alter that to be the opposite. And I've dedicated my life to do I do a lot of what they call inner work, and the the best thing that I teach this to people, I you know I teach acting. <laughs> or I used to is breathing. You know I've had so many experiences where taking a deep breath in the in driving my car in heavy traffic and somebody going so fast and pulling right in front of me, I've almost had my life taken. And if I didn't know to go the breath and and not, you know, make a stupid mistake and I was able to turn just in time. I've had so many experiences like that. It's an evolution of trying to be the best person I can. Mm-hmm. So I'm a human like all of us and we all have it built into our guest being that, you know, there are things that would be helpful for us to learn about impatience and being the other, you know, we have a a, a whole um, awareness in the news every day about those people who are the other than us who we have opinions about. But they're human beings. They had mothers and fathers, and you know, and, and no matter what their lot in life is, you know, they feel the same way we do within. So why do we have to point a finger at them? So that's how I've learned to do it, and I'm still doing it. Mm-hmm. Well, that's that's a very uh, that's great. It was uh, when I mentioned I got sick, you know, a little while ago. Was you know after that, I really changed my life. I changed my diet. I walk every day, and uh, I got much healthier, uh, not just physically but mentally. And uh, uh-huh. you know, part of that is I agree is trying to be. Uh, there's a lot of negativity out there, so why put more negativity out there? It's uh, Try to be as positive as possible. Yeah. You know, and put, you know, they have that saying, you know, walk a mile in someone else's shoes. And Mm -hmm. we never know. I mean, we don't know. That's why I've gone from not wanting to do any of this to allowing this to show up in my life. And the end result is I want to make a difference somehow. This Dracula has shown up. uh, It's really 180 degrees away from who I was. But here I am given this opportunity to meet people and talk to people and ask these questions. And ultimately, if I can get this performance piece up, I've got a lot of people interested, you know, and there's a lot, there's some very good ways to do this and we'll film it and get it out there, maybe online or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, but to have that interaction so people can wonder, yeah, how do I do that? And why am I so attracted? And, you know... There's there's a lot more to it that you know when I flesh it out so to speak uh, I'm looking forward to sharing it with people so we'll have a you know we'll make some changes that won't uh, be what's coming down the pike right now and it's just every day it's like oh my god you know it's just mind boggling mm-hmm. so that's my two cents Neil very good. <laughs> Now, did you stay in touch with Al uh, after doing the movies? Say it again? Did you stay in touch with Al Adamson after doing the movies with him? A little bit. You know, we developed a friendship, and, and Gina, this blonde bombshell, uh, uh, and I used to talk, and she was a sweet lady. I mean, she had a Vegas showgirl, and looking the way she did, and had a you know big Hollywood guy as her husband. She talked about wanting to work with kids and keep and teach kids acting, and because that was something I was interested, we talked, and they invited me over for dinner. And Al and I would shoot hoops, you know, and stuff like that. And um, and then it just life went on, and he did what he did until he stopped making movies. He got into real estate, which is what got him killed. You know, he was redoing a house, and you saw the movie. You saw what happened. Uh- where did the uh and i don't know if you're even aware of this but it, it was like just 
given as like fact in a lot of things that you were Al stockbroker and then they asked you to be in the movie, but apparently that's not true. Do you know where, where that ever started? And did you, yeah, did, no, you I, uh, sure. Um, that was someone spun that wrong because, uh, I don't know if it was an interview from before or something Al said or Sam said, but, um, I knew, a, a couple of people and one was a stockbroker was a friend of my family and um he was in new york working for someone and i kind of knew about that and i knew a couple of other people who dealt with wall street and i you know i play let's make a deal and uh there was an opportunity i was a young man i figured if i i was kind of being counseled if you put a deal together you get a percentage when I met Sam and Al, that wasn't totally in my mind because of a relationship that we developed because we had a desire to, you know, to upgrade what they were doing and, and handle their own distribution. So I actually put them in touch. I, we, I set up a screening for their movies with this guy and his partner, and they basically, as I remember it, Sam has a little different uh, picture, but they made uh, Sam and Al an offer that was ridiculous. They wanted control of their company, and they said, "Yeah, right. We've worked this hard to give it over to you. Uh, thank you for coming." You know, and so somehow that whole stockbroker thing showed up, and Sam, you know, mentioned it somewhere in one of his uh, uh, interviews or something at the end of the movie or the DVD, and. He got it maybe from there, but he doesn't remember, and that's what I remember. Mm-hmm. And, and did you, uh, until recently, were, were you still friends with Sam? Did you stay in touch with him a lot? Not until recently. Um, when this whole thing happened uh, with the, the um, documentary, because he's involved with David Gregory, they're his films, you know, and... Yeah. and and then we started talking and he kept, you know, just saying, you got to do this. You know, you got a lot of fans and they want to meet you. My wife started doing it. Come on. It's, you know, people want to connect and you're big on connecting. So go meet your fans and, you know, have some fun with this. And, you know, you're an actor, you can make stuff up. And so I started having, you know, and Sam and I are storytellers. So he has some amazing stories. He's been in the film business forever and he's done everything and he's met so many people. And, uh, he, he, he here's a story, Neil. He said, uh, one day we, I don't know who called who and he said, All right, sit down. he's, uh, you know, he's that way. He's very directive. <laughs> I said, okay. I'm said, he said, you know, I'm writing my memoirs, right? I told you I'm writing my memoirs, my years and doing all this stuff. It's a huge book. I'm having to edit. Guess what the title is. I said, how, how the hell do I know what the title of your <laughs> book is? He says, When Dracula Met Frankenstein. <laughs> I said, whoa. I said, which one of you is Frankenstein? He said, no, you're Dracula. <laughs> and the whole idea is that your film culminated in our work. Yours was the biggest financial and personal success of everything that Al did. And I did, Al and I did, you know? Yeah. So um, I said, okay. And so we continue to talk, and he's a guy who put me in touch with the other David who, you know, got me involved doing all of this and had to call you, I guess, you know? (laughs) Yeah, set it all in motion. We're connected. Uh, I don't know if it's six degrees, but it's something. (laughs) (laughs) I agree. Well, how about uh, Frankenstein, John Bloom? What was he like uh, to work with? He was with? a great guy, a big guy. He was easy to work with. He, it, when, in the dressing room, it didn't take long for them to put makeup on me. It took a while. He had to sit there for a long time while they created that face of his. Mm-hmm. And I know he would go, geez, I don't remember if he smoked, but I knew, I know Gina smoked, but someone was eager to get out and have a cigarette, but here is all this makeup, you know, Yeah, so he was fun. He was nice. Gina, Jay Carroll, uh, we didn't know it. You know, he was a little ornery, but he was hurting. He was physically hurting, you know, and mm-hmm. he, he, he was a little challenging, you know, it made for good tension. Cause you know, here's my character. So we're going to 
Ellis or else. And um, so, you know, it was it was a good experience across the board. Um, had some fun, and uh, as as many people that said, "Why in God's name did you have that guy play Dracula?" Uh, uh-huh. I had a moment, and I love telling this story when we were doing the the evening shots in the back of the sound stage. Where, you know, who was it? Jim Davis, the guy who played uh, the father in Dallas, he was the cop, I think. And they were chasing the monster. And then I have Gina tied up on the thing there. And I give this long winded, (laughs) you know, and so Uh they've got a a boom mic there and all the lights. And I get done and we're done with that scene. And the crew applauded. And that really made it for me after a long day and full of words with no commas in between, you know, just had to take a breath and say the next thing. And, you know, and they applauded what I did and that felt really good. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, Actually, uh, Ken Meehan wants to know, um, what was it like when you first saw yourself in full makeup the first time on set as Dracula? Well, I saw it in the in the room, you know. Mm-hmm. I mean, at, bef- not the movie on the set. Yeah, that's yeah, on set. Yeah, um, yeah. It was. They did a good job. I think it was a woman, and they had these press-in things that you kind of glued on the incisors there, and they were uh, uncomfortable, but not as uncomfortable as uh, store-bought Halloween <laughs> things. <laughs> Uh, but I was able to work with them and I took a look and I wore the cape and, you know, I kind of, kind of settled into that and got in a place, well, let's go do this because they did enough job. It's, you know, it's, it's what I look like on the magazine cover. So there is that ominous look. And when I look at myself, I go, geez, you know, I'm not, I don't feel that way inside. (laughs) It's like I'm an older guy now, and when I look in the mirror, it's like, well, who is that guy? You know, I mean, it's not like I'm so aged. You know, my hair's changed, my beard's changed. You, you, you probably got the pictures and stuff. Yeah. Uh, but, but who is that guy there? I don't feel like, you know, that guy looks. You know, I've still got energy. I'm still bouncing around, making jokes, and chasing my dog, and, you know, <laughs> things like that. <laughs> Uh, what was that like to be on the cover of Famous Monsters of Filmland? Oh, uh, I was very humble. It was such a surprise. And um, I didn't realize the power of this because it's not an area in my life that mm-hmm. I paid attention to. Now, in, in, in different junctures in my life, when I hear how popular that this stuff is, like Comic-Con and, and the Trekkies who have their conventions and their lifestyle where you dress up and you interact and all these this merchandise has meaning, you know, and especially if you get to meet one of the characters, it was like, it was very humbling. You know, it's part of what I've already said. Um, I'm grateful that uh, the film and I have, you know, made a difference in people's lives where they want to meet me and have me sign stuff. And you know, they're very respectful. I had so many people in Hollywood when I did all that signing, call me, sir, you know, instead of, mm-hmm. you know, Hey, Drac, you know, give me this. And I had bikers there, you know, they were just great people because people are basically good people until mm-hmm. something happens and you know what that is. Mm-hmm. But, People all want the same things, and so I made a point in my life uh, of seeing people as people, you know, and even when they do objectionable things, I can walk away, and I do. Mm -hmm. I mostly like to walk toward. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and I bet it would be interesting that, uh, well, what kind of, like, age range were the fans of the movie? Because I assume a lot of them... Uh, would have been born after Dracula vs. Frankenstein year was released. Well, they, you know, in the audience, there were, you know, uh, it was mostly men. I think it was, you know, 80-plus percentage men to women in the audience. Uh, a lot of ink on arms and faces mm-hmm. and stuff and pierced stuff and biker kind of stuff. And they had gray in their hair. There were... And 
dressed and dressed well and gray in the hair. And then there, I don't think the young end was there. From what I've been told, it's more of the twilight zombie and, and uh, what do you call it, vampire and zombie movies. And whatever Rob Zombie is doing seems very popular. I'm looking forward to seeing some of that. And um, But it was mostly, uh, from my recollection, you know, 30-something on up. Mm-hmm. And uh, you mentioned not being a horror uh, movie guy, but uh, what kind of movies do you like? Um, let's see. I like meaningful stuff, you know, thought-provoking things. I like the kind of movies, uh, more the realistic, where the, they make movies based on books or real circumstances, where a teacher, you know, inspires a, a, and believes in a kid who nobody else does, and they want to do something. I was really into foreign movies early on, you know, I, to me, they're all stories. And so I, I look at the story angle because the work I've done in, with playback theater is all based on personal stories. And, you know, as you can tell, I like telling stories. So uh, yeah. this gives me the opportunity to share my perspective. I don't expect anybody to do anything about it. If it, you know, if it has relevance in someone's life great so that's what i kind of look for in different movies um i love visuals so if someone can weave uh something together uh with good visuals that's a bonus i got off on you know the first star trek movies because you know my curious mind goes i wonder about that and these guys have researched this and done some work and uh i think they're Probably a little truth to everything in these stories, and you know, movie making is storytelling. So mm-hmm. uh, I'm trying to give you an answer that I can think of another example. But <laughs> no. yeah, I love the Star Wars, uh, Star Trek movies too, uh, especially the like you said, the early ones. The um, now you mentioned playback theater a couple times. It kind of you know touched on what it is, but could you you know tell the audience what exactly playback theater is? It's a, a an international. A theater form. It's done all over the world and it's done with the lights on in a theater and the actors, you know, someone is, is charged, they're called a conductor and they elicit short stories or long stories from the audience members and there are different ways of playing them back. The foundation is honoring this person's real story. The only thing told to an audience is, you know, Anything goes, but it has to be your story. It can't be something you're making up or someone told you. You have to be in it. It could happen in the crib as you dreamt it, or it could happen coming to the theater today, you know, and we will do our best to honor your story. And there's something about an audience bearing witness to something meaningful to uh, someone's story. And you get mm-hmm. to see that, the same juxtaposition. Really good comics, comedians, will get you laughing stuff, and then they'll put the zinger in and make you think and, you know, make you go, whoa, I didn't see that one coming. Well, that's what happens with playback. You, you kind of do a little of this and a little of that, and people begin to identify with stuff, and then you start getting real-life stories. I can remember once uh, when we were doing it, you know, I, I did most of my work, some of some groups here. We've traveled with this to penitentiaries and lots of other places. But I remember this one story uh, in, in one of the theaters in downtown Asheville. And, uh, we've been doing stuff for a while. There was laughter. There was, oh, that's interesting. Finally, a guy gets up. He may be in his 40s, 50s, and... He said, you know, he's, he, there's like an interview, well, what's your story about? Who are you? And he said, well, I'm actually the psychiatrist or psychologist who was charged with talking to all the kids in, where was it? It was a place in Virginia. Where was the big shooting a long time ago? One of the big ones, somewhere in Virginia? Big name. Oh, I'm I don't, sure. I don't know. Yeah. Anyway, he said, you know, nobody expected this coming because it was just kind of lighthearted before this. And he started telling about 
him counseling these students who are still in shock, and it was his job to assist them um, to some form of neutrality in their own lives so they could, you know, calm down, basically, because a lot of them are in shock. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I'll remember it, but, you know, like uh, some guy, one or two guys, yeah, I think it was two guys, went in with all kinds of stuff and just did a lot of people in and teachers. It was, you know, just, it, this is the kind of trend you don't want to see happen. I mean, yeah. You know, so this guy shows up, you know, we're having all these kind of funny stories and oh that's an interesting thing you know walking the trails and seeing a bear and having to run for your life and then suddenly you know we've learned i've heard so many stories i've done this for 25 years and you know you never know what's going to come and uh we've begun to see we call it the red thread in playback so these folks will come up and tell a story. The person known as the conductor will ask the, the storyteller, who do you want to play you in your story? You know, I want her to play me. Men play women, women play men, play inanimate objects. Objects can talk all in, in service. If this is in service to the story, you know, it's not some goofy thing you decide to do. And as actors, we train ourselves. It is a training that you learn to work together and a lot of times you just cast the, the person telling the story and the other actors have to figure out who they're going to play. And there's this ensemble thing. That go, it's all improv. Mm-hmm. It's a, a really high form and a very community building form. Done lights on. There are no costumes. You, we use pieces of brightly colored cloth to represent like a, a red piece of cloth could, you know, be held up as anger, for instance, you know, or you could use a piece of cloth and simulate a cane, someone limping across. And uh, it's, it's a, such a unique, it's a, probably in its 45th year, it's in every country in the world, uh, you know, in some of the really war-torn countries in Russia and China and uh, Bangladesh, and you name it. And little companies form based on the desire to tell stories. And then you learn how to embody some of this. And, you know, if you're going to do more skilled work, you have to really earn so you don't traumatize people or re-traumatize them. Mm-hmm. And I've heard some heavy-duty stories Max security prisons. Oh my goodness, I'd stand up there listening to a story holding my stomach. Mm-hmm. Wow. How did you uh, get involved in that? Um, I did, you know, I, I, after, you know, as I was growing up after uh, Dracula and then went on, I started studying some theater. I um, did, you know, some uh, reader's theater where you hold the script and I found some interesting plays and I was going to start doing that. And then one of the women in one of the performance groups said, um, this is great stuff you're doing, but I think I'm going to, you inspired me to get back to doing playback. And I said, what's playback? And she explained it to me. I said, really? She said, Listen, I got a, a brochure. They do a training up in New York. Uh, let me give it to you. And I didn't have the money, but I had a credit card, and it just resonated. So I said, I'm going, and I learned it, and I kept doing it. I came back to Asheville and and told her, I'm going to start a company. She said, what? I said, yeah. She said, I'm going to be there with you. And we started a company. We brought in actors and people who dealt with psychologists and art therapists, and we trained together, and I got a venue, and we started work. I started the company and I managed the company and I had this woman and another woman after her who were the artistic directors had some real background and we had did this for 20 years in Asheville and I moved here 10 years ago. Interesting. That sounds really cool. Yeah, I've, I've never heard of it before. Mm-hmm. You can Google playback theater and you'll probably uh, see more than you need to know. And it, it, there's probably some examples. You yeah. can Google Asheville Playback Theater and you'll probably see me. There's a short uh, segment someone did on me. It was uh, 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 in what I was doing with a guy. 
I facilitated a global playback performance with the the Kindness Foundation, then after that with the United Nations. Uh, And so um, all about what I've been telling you about how to make a better world, you know, and uh, you can get a taste. It's, It's a very unique. Where do you live? Massachusetts. There was one up in Northampton, uh, and I think a guy, Tim, is, I don't know if he's still there. There's one in Boston, big time, a big time Boston one. Um, but you can Google it, and you can probably get a taste of stuff if it interests you beyond just seeing what yeah. it is. It's- yeah, no, it honestly sounds very interesting. And um, <clears throat> well, what are you doing like uh, during the pandemic, during the uh, quarantine? To, to keep uh, busy, interested. Well, my wife and I, I've been working with people with special needs a couple of days mm-hmm. a week, and it's in a, uh, a large, uh, um, uh, what would you call it? It's a village outside of Asheville. It's actually a big piece of land that's been there for 40-some years with people with adults with special needs, every one of those labels you could imagine. And mm-hmm. I was doing creative work with them because I had, been a, a volunteer there for a few years and had lived there and helped out and put together shows and, you know, took care of people. And then when the pandemic hit, um, it was actually uh, the eight, the 17th of March. Uh, I was told, you know, we love you, but we, you know, you come and go and we're going to close this thing off. We don't want, and we can't afford to have the, 40, 50 people who live here catch something. Yeah. So I ended up with a lot of time, and so I started cleaning up the house. We've got two wife and I, two dogs, and we, uh, you know, I got to look at the, this uh, Dracula thing showed up immediately. Mm-hmm. So I had already done the, the premiere thing uh, in September, and so this was March. Uh, it was St. Patrick's Day was my last day out there, and so I got a little time off, and I got chores done. And I, you know, I, I follow the guidelines. I go shopping, and I watch mm-hmm. there. And um, so far, so good. I keep going. Yeah. Well, good. I'm gonna hope you're staying healthy. That's good to hear. And uh, so it started. You're very welcome. So starting May 26 will be the uh, the Sam Shepherd Sam Sherman, sorry, Retro Roadshow Camp Classic Tour. And it's, uh, cool. it's going to be at different drive-in theaters. And the first one is at the Circle Drive-In in Dixon City, Pennsylvania. And I'll yeah, have uh, like links and stuff up on the website. So are we done? Yeah, I had a good time. <laughs> I hope you did as well. Yeah, I hope it wasn't, uh, t- it wasn't uh, too annoying or anything for you. <laughs> no, and why do they call you nasty, or why do you call yourself nasty? You know, uh, well, it was given to me by a guest on the show, R.A. Mihailov, who played Leatherface in Texas Chainsaw Massacre Part 3. But some oh. of my friends, like uh, Trista and uh, Annabelle, they both said, you're not a nasty guy, so you shouldn't use nasty deal. And they suggested other things, but I think it just is kind of a fun name that that rolls off the tongue. I think it's just for sure.
Come on, everything turns to stone. Everything. 